that uh, Jesus movie or Jesus music movie. We yeah. saw that, so yeah, you haven't I seen it see yet. It. I haven't seen it yet. No. But it was the one thing I, I, if I knew this, I forgot of what a significant role Billy Graham played in bringing bringing Christian, bring a large portion of the church to accept the Christian rock music. That he had a couple of crusades where he teamed up with some of the the really? leading ones at the time, and where a lot of people were disappointed that he did that and that really i always thought it was george beverly shea no no he had some where the uh, expo remember what what was the thing like in dallas x expo or x something 72 or some some huge festival where he preached it was kind of a combined it was like of a youth rock crusade but he preached and that really um kind of validated a lot of the whole christian rock thing that was going on in the early 70s very interesting well there you go thank you for listening to the fields brothers show I'm Roger Fields, and I am with my brother Jeff, and we are recovering pastors with no history of scandal. Uh, Listener discretion advised. Uh, We do talk about some stuff. Occasionally, it's a little bit controversial, but it's a lot about the unfiltered grace of God in time of religious obligations. And so, anyway. You going to talk about the new member of our family today? Oh, go ahead. You do it. (laughs) We have a uh, new member of the family. Mom got a new dog named Barney. And some of you may know <laughs> that, that um, too, uh, her beloved uh, dog that she had had for many years, Bucky, um, passed away a few months ago. And so mom got a new dog Multi-poo. today. Yeah. Multi-poo. Five. And uh, named Barney, five months old. Five months old, yeah. And so uh, we are very glad that uh, Cute little to dog. welcome Barney into the Fields we family. We may have to put Barney's picture on the uh, so Fields Brothers uh, <laughs> could, Facebook page or that. something. You so know, anyway. Hey, let me tell you a story. I don't know if I've ever told you the story or not. Maybe I have. If I have, I, I don't remember. I don't remember ever telling it on the podcast. But this was probably, gosh, a long time ago—fifteen years ago, sixteen years ago—and I was at the Walmart that used to be on Richmond Road, and mm-hmm. I was coming out. And we've all had this experience where you come out, and and now, let me tell you why I'm telling you the story too. This is my illustration of a lot of times we think more highly of our own ethics than what is justified. Okay, we think we're, you know. We have a higher standard of whatever than we really do. We so, kind of pick out what we're good at, yeah. and then we measure everybody else by yeah. what we're good right. at. And right, so I'm gonna tell one on myself here. Okay, so I'm coming out of Walmart, and everybody tell you the experience where the alarm goes off because they didn't scan something properly, and mm-hmm. and they always just wave you on. You look back like, okay, it beeped on me, and they wave you on like it's no big deal. And you, go, well, not this time. Something beeped. I had paid for everything in my bag, but this guy came out of nowhere who was dressed. I mean, plain clothes looked like kind of homeless. I mean, his coat didn't fit. I mean, he looked like he didn't have anything, which I guess maybe fit right in with Walmart. I don't know. But he came out of nowhere, and he pulled me over to the side. He pulls out a clipboard. He's, he's a security guard, plain clothes, and he has to write up what happened. Okay? All right. And, okay. So in the meantime, I mean, I look like I'm being arrested. I look like I'm being detained <laughs> by this plank because I've got to stand there. Like, because everybody else, you know, you always get waved through. Bringing dishonor yeah. to the field's yeah. name and right so, here yeah. in Lexington. And so I'm thinking, this is not right. I said, this is, all this stuff's going through my mind in a matter of just a few seconds. I think, you know, I may need to talk to the manager about this. You know, I think I'm going to write a letter to corporate about this. Is it? You can't make somebody just stand here and look like a criminal in my own neighborhood, practically my neighborhood. I thought, you know, I may, maybe I just need to bring a class action suit. So all these things are just kind of ruined. I said, you know, not because of what's happened to me, but just think of all the other innocent people that have made to look like common criminals in their own neighborhoods. And here I, you know, I said, this is just, this is a, this is just not right. And I know it's kind of 
seems quirky now looking back, but I thought, you know, really, is not right? At the time, I really was kind of uneasy about it. Then he said something that changed everything. He said, uh, get yourself a two-liter. What? <laughs> you just get yourself a two-liter. You can be bought and off, I in other words. Out, and sure enough, there's a little rack of two-liter pop. You know, it's like a Mountain Dew, Sprite, a little, like one or two of everything. And all of a sudden, I'm making a selection. You know, I look down there, I'm like, well, okay. I, I kind of like seven up. I got my two. And I don't even like popping the two-liter. I mean, it's like the worst thing, really. I mean, that two-liter you know, pop is the worst tasting pop. But I picked me up a, a two-liter seven up, and I'm like, okay, I'm fine now. <laughs> so I'm guessing somebody in the past complained about it before they did that. And they had a big meeting, and they say, "Here's what we'll yeah, do: these you give morons, these people, you give, you give them a, a two-liter two pop, they'll let fine. you do anything. Let you do it." Yeah. So I, was, I, was, I walked out with my two-liter bottle, thinking, "Okay, well, I guess it wasn't that bad, really." <laughs> so now, let me, you know, that's kind of helpful for information for me to have. So if I ever do something to you that I think you're upset just at, I just, I just give you a two-liter, and everything will be fine. Well, so. anyway, I was, then I look back on it; it's got funnier all the time. I'm thinking, you know. All right, here's I got here's a serious topic. You ready for a serious topic? Yes. All right. And I've got a story I want to share at some point that I didn't get to in the last podcast. All right. We can end with that. If here's you my serious question, okay? The gospel's pretty straightforward. Okay. Wouldn't yeah. you say? Yes, I would say. Jesus Amen. Preach it. Laid out his life for us. Mm-hmm. Because of that, we get his righteousness, sins paid for, we're good, it's all done, good to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now the question is particularly for people who've been raised in church. Why doesn't that stick? Why do people have such a struggle with that? And I thought about this a lot, and I don't know if what comes up with this is the right answer or not, but, I, you know. Your phone's my, ringing there. Yeah, you I know, need I just turned it off. No, I okay. turned it off. It, it, and so why is that? I mean, even people that I talk to, even in small groups or whatever, why is so difficult about this? Why is there such a struggle with it? So anyway, give me. You have any theories? I guess I mean, theories, just right but... off the top of my head, the first two or three things to come to mind is that it is just hard for us to accept the fact of something being completely free and given to us. That just goes against the way the way of the flesh, which we're for in Christ. We're no longer in the flesh, but we still have a tendency to to use those methods. And that we've also heard so many mixed messages. We've well, heard that, but we've heard it mixed in with other stuff. Okay. All right. So. Let's, let me drill down on that a little bit. What, is, what are some of the things do you think we've been taught that makes it so hard to fathom the gospel? I mean, because I believe there mm-hmm. are some specific things that are so deeply embedded in us, and maybe we realize, maybe we don't, but makes it hard to grasp the good news of the gospel. I think the emphasis on Christian growth and the things that you need to do, we've talked about the disciplines where we have these disciplines, whether church attendance, Bible reading, prayer, witnessing, things like that. If you do these things, then you will grow as a Christian. So I don't know that I'm getting the idea that's not where you're headed with this. No, well, that, that I, mean, I think it's related. Something. No, I guess, so, I mean, I think all that's true. But that would be specific things that we have um, been taught through the years and taught ourselves at one point probably. All right, let me give you, let me give you and I may three kind of ideas maybe that I think have really derailed us. I mean, majorly derailed the average churchgoer from grasping the gospel. So this is where we get into our reverse discipleship. Yep. We're going to reverse we to discipleship. Unlearn. These are things we need to unlearn or examples of what we need to unlearn. All right. Number one, I think we have given people the impression that it's not about 
receiving or absorbing the good news. It's about living up to a book. Yeah. We have, and I think we have made a massive mistake. And I know we've talked about this, and we're not going to go into it deep right now. We have made a mistake by teaching people that the Bible, now everybody's going to think I'm a total heretic until I explain this, that the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible's very clear that Jesus is the Word of God. The Bible mm-hmm. never calls itself the Word of God. It calls itself Scripture. Mm-hmm. And every time that Paul quotes, it's either Scripture says, or he says, the psalmist says, or Jesus, Isaiah says. Jesus quoting the Old Testament. Yeah, quoted the, other, the same thing. He quoted people, and they never said the Word of God said. And so when you get to Scriptures like be doers of the Word, you're thinking, okay, i got to do everything in the Bible, which means i got to live up to this book. Or sometimes the word is used for the gospel message. Gospel message. Which obviously focuses right. on Christ. This word right. that we preach right. is the right. message of Christ. Right, which I would, right, right. Yeah. But it's not the entire Bible. Correct. And so I think that's the one thing that we, I think a lot of Christians, particularly have grown up in church, feel like it's your responsibility to live up to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible has taken more, pre, more precedence or a higher status than what Jesus has paid for for us with his own blood. And we've often kind of worshipped the Bible instead of the oh, one yeah. to whom the Bible points. It's like the worshiping the sign instead of the, the one that the sign points to. And, of course, everybody, every group kind of picks and chooses its own little portions of the Bible to mm-hmm. emphasize or de-emphasize. Yeah. But it's, for us, it's no longer about a message. We talked about the fact that the early Christians did not even have a Bible. You know, the, some, the, the, the Gentiles didn't even have an Old Testament. They had nothing except when the, the gospel came to them, they had a message. They had a story that they believed of what Jesus had done for them. That's what they had, plus they had the Holy Spirit. Um, like the church in Thessalonica, we've been studying First Thessalonians, one of my groups. You know, Paul was only there for two weeks. Two weeks. He says, we have three Sabbaths, you know, maybe possibly up to three weeks, two to three weeks. And he's gone, and he writes back and just marvels at how well they're doing. Well, they didn't have enough time to go through a discipleship program. He even says there <laughs> that God himself taught you how to love. Interesting statement. Where is this at? In First Thessalonians. Oh, yeah, okay? I remember that part. Yeah. yeah. And you, I confess, I'm not, I'm not near as familiar with Thessalonians as I am. Well, that's why I'm here, here to educate you. I'm well, here to help I, you I, along. I appreciate that. Here to grow you. I'm here to disciple you. what older brothers you. are for. Yeah, so. what is, <laughs> but the way we see... The, I believe it's all true, but I believe it's scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, this says the word became flesh. The word did not become papyrus or paper. And so when we, and so when we think about doing the word, really doing the word means believing in the message, mm-hmm. of taking in the message. And we talk, talk about the obedience of faith. When you trust Jesus and what he's done for you, that's obedience. That's the obedience of faith. You're obeying what God would like you to do, which is just trust his son that he paid the whole price. So I think that's one big misconception. The other one I think has totally messed us up is that we believe that the new covenant started at the birth, birth of Jesus yeah. instead of the death of Jesus. Yeah. Two very simple things. Yeah. But when you put those two things together, it totally messes you up. Yeah. If you think that Jesus is teaching within the context of the new covenant, you're going to be so confused. You know, one thing we've talked about is that the language totally changes from the gospel's after the day of Pentecost through Acts and through the epistles. The, the terminologies change. You, know, you, have, you hear about being in Christ, in him. You hear about a lot of things you did not hear about uh, before the cross. And so, and we read in Hebrews where it says, it's the death of the tester that starts a new mm-hmm. covenant. A new covenant has By to blood. have a death. It has yeah. to have to be blood. And so Jesus lived and taught under the old covenant. And I think if you put those two things together right there, I think you've got a real... Um, you've really set the stage for a lot of confusion. I mean, if you believe yeah. that we well, got to live up to a book, and if you believe that all of it's really just the same, and, and that the new covenant started with the birth of Jesus, 
It says he lived and he lived under the law. It says he was you know he was born under the law. It says in Galatians. All right, that's two things. I have one more. Okay. Do you have any uh, comment so far? Go ahead. Um, and comment I, on I can wait till you get done with this right. one. So, yeah, I've got a couple of things, and one of them is uh, may uh, we may lose a few listeners on this one. Okay, yeah, that's but fine. go ahead. Yeah, that's fine. And so, but number three is that we, even though we know better, we still believe the church is a place. Even though mm-hmm. we say, well, it's not the building, well, it's the place where we do our program. It's the place we put on our production. It's our thing. You know, you tell people today, you can be connected with. Yeah, I mean, you can pray with believers all day long. You can get all kinds of encouragement. You can be well-connected within the Christian community. But if you don't attend that 1030 service on Sunday morning, then you're out of church. Well, how did that? how's that possible? But that's the mentality. And so here's what we got. We've got to live up to a book. We've got to live up to everything that Jesus said uh, before the cross and then live up to well, everything. And that's just all outward we, behavior. We, we, all just behavioral behavior. stuff, you know. And then we've got to go to a place that somehow that pleases God when we show up at a building or at a gathering uh, once a week. And so then if, we, if you have those three things deeply enrooted in your heart, then when you come along and you talk about the grace of the gospel, it's like, well, okay, you, you only, people only take that in on a surface level. Okay, yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah, sure. Okay, the grace of God, we're saved by grace, and that Jesus paid the full price. Yes, we get it. But we don't take it down very deeply because if you take it down deeply, then you have to start messing with these other beliefs that are deeply held and cherished. Go. All right. Two or three thoughts. Kind of going in reverse order to the last one you mentioned about church life and all that. I had a, had a very interesting conversation with someone today at work, a fellow I haven't talked to for quite a while. We just kind of knew each other casually, but I knew what congregation at least he used to attend. So I asked him, do you, do you still attend there? And, um, and he formally does, but with COVID, he hadn't been a whole lot and other things going on. He'd rotated off, but he had been on the board and, and all this stuff. And he was, he was telling me about all the decisions that kind of the things that were having to decide by the board and <clears throat> it made me so glad I don't have to fool with that anymore. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I told him, I said, there's a few, I mean, that's one of the worst jobs I would want to have is to have to be on a church board trying to figure out how to keep the budget because everything comes down to money, you know, yeah. when you make these yep. decisions yep. and whether or not all this stuff. But anyway, so that's one. Back earlier in terms of the book, this is something that I've thought of recently and I haven't brought this up and, I, and I'm still thinking through it. So don't, I'm, I'm not coming to any firm conclusions on this, but let me just fill you in on kind of my, my thought right. process here. Okay, we know that Paul said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, blah, blah, blah. And that would be what, Jeff? Well, what scripture does that be? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16, 17, somewhere very in there. Very good, 16. Very good. I'm so, impressed. Okay. So when he said that, what was what was Paul thinking when he said all scripture is given by inspiration of God? What what was all scripture to Paul and to Timothy who was, he was writing to Timothy? So that well, would be obviously what? Well, I would say it's obviously the Old Testament, yeah. but would he recognizing that the scripture was being written? Well, I mean, he didn't say that. It's yeah. possible, but I think there the clear assumption was okay. yeah, he's referring to all the right. Old Testament. Okay. So we have that in mind. All right. Romans 7 keeps coming to mind where it says we serve God not in the way of the written code, but in the, or the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Right. And then we talked, Jesus talked about, you know, scripture, quoted scripture or the law and the prophets or Moses and the prophets. Then we think about Paul and Corinthians a couple times. And there's the first Corinthians. He says, you know, he will say something. And he specifically says a time or two, this is basically coming from me, not the Lord. Remember that? 
It's, and I, I think it's when he's talking about marriage. Yeah, and but I think he's talking about the difference between what Jesus said specifically and what he's saying now. Right. I haven't read okay. that for a while, right. so I, don't, okay. I, I won't argue with you on that. Then we think about the times that we've talked about where, you know, James and Paul seem to, I mean, you really got to do some hermeneutical gymnastics to make Paul and James agree, and they're different people and different views on that. So you put all that together, and it has crossed my mind when we know, okay, we know how different the new covenant is from the old covenant. You know, the new covenant is a person, Christ living in us, and all this, not the written code. Is it possible that it's the Old Testament? Again, I'm, I'm not come to, I've come to no firm conclusion on this. Is it possible that the Old, old Testament isn't inerrant in that sense, but that God never intended us to view the New Testament as inerrant in the same way that the Old, the old Testament was viewed as inspired by God? And God breathed, and that Dear type Lord, of thing. you are a heretic. That is pretty. <laughs> so again, I'm not saying I'm there. Yeah, but it it has crossed my mind on that because, and that does relate to what you were saying of how much. I mean, you and I went to Bible college. I mean, mm-hmm. we got a whole. Both of us have a four year degree on the Bible, and of how much we've equated Christian growth to learning information about the Bible. Mm-hmm. When obviously the Pharisees knew, no one knew the Scripture better than the Pharisees. And they totally missed Jesus, and we see that in our day. So yeah. anyway, that that's kind of what. So yeah, I would agree with what you were saying in those ways. And then the idea of the new covenant starting at the the cross, or the old covenant continuing on to the law. Jesus came under. See, the law I don't, I don't know if I totally agree with you. Okay, yeah. here's, well, here's I'm not even sure I agree okay. with that. So I, I think I, th- I think it is possible when Paul said all Scripture. I think if he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say that, that also could be forward-looking too. It doesn't have to be all okay. backward-looking to the, to the Old Testament scriptures. And Peter one time referred, and, there, there's, and this is helping, helping your case here, that Peter one time pretty much referred to the writings of Paul. He's talking about Paul and other scriptures. Yeah. So he, yeah. so maybe it's, you know, Paul was given the gospel of grace. I've wondered that too. Maybe yeah. it's, anyway. Yeah. What else? I, I do think, and this is my opinion too, but I, I think he was saying that scripture um, even that was being written or was yet to be written. I mean, I think that was a uh, there was a prophetic tone to that or prophetic um, looking forward to could scripture. Be. Could be. I'm not saying. Yeah, I'm not saying that, but that's just what I believe. Um, but yeah, there's so so back to your original point. So because of those three things, what well, well, did you start well, out saying? That's for, why it's hard, it's hard for the hard gospel for to, to stick. It just yeah. doesn't stick. It was like you can. I mean, how many, you've all, we've had the experience where you can tell somebody the gospel, you think, boy, this guy's got it. I mean, he's wrong. And then a week later, he's just kind of reverted right back to the old thing. You think, how how did you okay. how did you go backwards like that that fast? I think the need is kind of what the need what Jesus did in his ministry. The problem is cheap law that we kind of yeah we've dumbed well, it down. And so as as because that's what the per, the people that come to grace tend to come later in life to really see the new covenant, and they tend to come to it. After they've just kind of exhausted okay. and given up. I have a and new so. term for you for that then. Okay? It's not a new term, but a new term in our kind of in our sphere, and that is being self-aware. Okay? Mm-hmm. I think what Jesus was doing was helping Jews become self-aware that they were not living up mm-hmm. to the law. They were not living up, therefore they needed a Savior. Now, here's the weird thing about being self-aware. You want to be self-aware before you come to the Lord, that's why you come to the Lord. You realize, I need help. I mm-hmm. need a Savior. I can't do this. Once you make go through that process, or once you put your faith in Jesus, not process, but in a point in time, you put your faith in Jesus, then, you don't be, then being self-aware is not the issue anymore. 
then it's becoming aware of Jesus and what he has done. Mm. But we put we flip that. A lot of us, we're not really self-aware. We don't really realize how much we, we, we blow it or don't, don't live up to what to a standard. So we don't really think down deep that we really need a Savior because it's all on us anyway. And then we kind of think we're putting our faith in Jesus, but then we're all self-aware of, boy, how am I doing? You know, am I reading my Bible enough? Am I praying enough? Am I doing we, this? We enough? start out the right way, yeah. but then immediately we'll, flip over we, to... We just, we, we just got it backwards, I think. And so I do think that... I think you have to be self-aware. For instance, let me say it this way. Maybe this will make more sense. You have to be self-aware enough to know that you do not love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and yeah. strength. You have to be self-aware enough to know you do not love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, who are you kidding? But we're not. We're not self-aware enough to even know that we're not living up to this stuff. I mean, when I hear some of these things, you know, you can kind of come at it from two different angles. You you hear someone teach all this obligation stuff and all this. You can either try to doctrinally point it out or more and more I find myself, well, I can't do that. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yep. I gave up a long time ago. I've been there, done that, tried it. I can't do it. So, or somebody says, Roger, you know, you're not doing this. And also, I would, my response is, oh, I'm far worse than you think. <laughs> you think <laughs> that's it? That's the knew. best you can do? That's it? You know. I had someone one time tell me, it wasn't all that long ago, within last year or two, a friend of mine, and we were, we were have different viewpoints on some yeah. of this stuff. And we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, the, the wise yeah. man, foolish man. And he said to me that he saw me as as the type of person who was the wise man who was following the words of Jesus and, and building on the rock. And I tried to gently tell him, Nope. Nope. <laughs> you got the wrong guy. <laughs> that, I mean, Jesus is the only one that's the wise man. Yeah. He is the wisdom. You know, we all fall into that other category and that's why we need a savior. So, all right. Can I give, can I give you another? Now we may pick this up again on the okay. next podcast. But can I tee this up? Or you have something you want to add on to? Uh, just a, kind of a, a good story, a Malcolm Smith story that maybe give me a couple minutes of something that he well, actually Go ahead, go ahead and do that and then I'll okay, jump in. Okay. This. This, is, this is kind of a serious thing, but it, in a, Encouraging thing. I found it very encouraging. I love listening to Malcolm Smith. Been listening to him some. He has a podcast called, I think, Unconditional Love, if anyone wants to find that. But he tells a story, true story. He was in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, and a young pastor in his 20s came up, talked to him, but this pastor did not speak English. So, so but he, he shares his testimony with Malcolm through a um, interpreter. So it went from him through an interpreter to Malcolm. Then I heard it, and now I'm telling you. So it's gone through. A I'm few sure it's years. just like the original. <laughs> okay, yeah. there. But anyway, so young guy fired up for the Lord in uh, in Brazil. Decides that God has called him to be a missionary to the um, uh, in the Amazon. It's part of Brazil. And the church in Rio was all excited that this young man, he's getting married, so he and his wife are going to go to uh, the jungles of the Amazon, which can be kind of dangerous at times. I would think. And share the gospel. So he does that, and they're all gung-ho. They say, we're going to support you. He gets to the jungles in Amazon. So he's telling Malcolm Smith, relating all this to him. Gets to the jungles, having a hard time with the language. They're not understanding him very much, and they're not responding to what he is sharing. A lot of the churches that said they would support him, quit supporting him the money starts to dry up he and his wife are discouraged his wife gets pregnant and and he is just hitting rock bottom at the same time and then his wife has the baby and they're really struggling financially and just basic necessities day to day he's still struggling with the language nobody's listening to him it's like nothing is happening nothing good is coming of this and he finally tells his wife one day said i've had it we're out of here you go ahead and start getting things together. I need to kind of close this out with God. So he goes off into a cabin, 
for the better part of a day and just cries out to God and curses God, tells him, I'm done with this, if this is what it is, and, and just is mad at God and screams out to God to where he was physically exhausted on the floor of the cabin. And then he shares with Malcolm Smith what Malcolm relates. He, he said he, in his heart he heard the voice of God saying something along the lines of, I'm so sorry that your work for me has gotten in the way of our friendship. Hmm. All I ever wanted to be, all I ever wanted you to be was my friend. Yeah. And he said, you can leave your work just to be my friend. Yeah. And so that that. that just overwhelmed him. Yeah. And he came back and he told his wife, so, well, hang on here. And he said he felt like he heard the gospel for the first time, even though yeah. he's been a missionary. Yeah. And then as, you know, it's a good story ending, he had a whole new message to share with the people there. And he was, and people started to listen. Church, the, the financial support picked back up. And at that point, he was still in his 20s, so still pretty young. But at that point, he had started a church, you know, congregation in that area and was now a, uh, you know, well-known and well-respected and supported pastor and all that. But, I mean, that really is... Kind of oh. amplifies how we, oh yeah, how we miss working we, for God we versus let, just yes, we the let relationship. The work, we let you know. the work of God get in the way of the relationship. So, and Absolutely. he shares all this in the story, the message about the pearl of great price, about how that that you know we are the pearl that you know in that parable, you know the person who bought the pearl gave up everything he had to buy the pearl. Mm-hmm. So when it's all said and done, he has nothing other than the pearl. And evidently in the process of making a pearl, it's the only gem that comes presenting itself already done. You know, diamonds have to be cut out. Other gems uh, have to be thought cut about out. That. Pearl comes to us already in, in that form. And it was the most precious gem back in that day. In our day, mm-hmm. they've learned how to make pearls, um, kind of farther pearl farms evidently, but you know, not in Jesus' day. So it was the most precious jewel comes already presented. And the and the to there's a certain way the oyster kind of bleeds inside to create the pearl. Mm. But just yeah. what the the incredible love that the Father has for us, and that that He gave, that He bled and gave His life to be our friend, yeah, for the mm-hmm. relationship that He wants with us. Okay, on the next podcast, Jeff, here's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to tee this up for you. Okay, um, and it is not, without explanation, probably not going to make a lot of sense. But we in the church, I believe, I am convinced, that church history. I even put this on a Facebook page. Is the history of Christianity is that we have trans or we have exchanged, traded, was transformational for what's motivational. We've we've done things that are motivational to people. We motivate them sometimes even through fear, but we motivate them rather than transforming them. The gospel is transformative on the inside. Motivation is always external. But I'm gonna give you a lot of examples of how we have fallen into that trap, and I think it's a major reason why. Um, yeah, I think it's another reason why people don't grasp the gospel today. We're going to be able to remember that between now and the next yeah, time we, we do will. It? I will because I'm going to leave this paper right here, so I won't okay. forget. It. I know you think I forget some of the stuff I tee up earlier, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see.